0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to episode 277 of the podcast. So glad you've tuned in today for our last Friday episode of October. We are covering a very important topic today, and that is breast cancer awareness and breast cancer prevention. Today, my guest is Julie Hernandez. Julie is a breast cancer survivor, along with her doctor, who will also be on this episode, who helped walk her through that journey and helped her get to the point where she is today. Her doctor is also a breast cancer survivor. So we're going to talk about the practicalities of breast cancer prevention, what we need to know as women in order to put ourselves on the best track for health prevention and awareness. And then also a little bit more insight into the emotional side and the practicalities of what it looks like to walk through cancer. It's a really, really vitally important topic, and I'm so glad to get these two different perspectives on the episode today, and I hope you learn a lot too. So let's get to it with Julie Hernandez and Dr. Michelle Lay. All right. I'm trying something new. We have three people on the call today, so we'll see how this goes. I want to welcome Julie Hernandez and Dr. Michelle Lay today. Hi, everybody.
1: Good morning.
0: I'm really, thr- morning. I'm really thrilled to have you both on. Julie, where
1: am I speaking to you from today? uh sunny beautiful tucson arizona
0: and you can say that because it's the fall in tucson so it's a good time of year
1: it is gorgeous it was 61 degrees when i was driving in so it's beautiful
0: and michelle dr lay where are you located
1: i'm in tucson also
0: perfect awesome well i'm thrilled to be chatting about breast cancer awareness and you're both uh, breast cancer survivors as well is that correct Correct. Yeah. Amazing. And so we'll talk about the personal aspect as well, which I think is a really beautiful perspective to both have the practicalities and the awareness portion, but then also the emotional part of it, because that is a huge part of the journey. So Julie, will you start by just sharing a little bit about who you are, your background, and about your experience with breast cancer?
1: Okay. Yes, sure. So I am married happily to my husband. He was my high school sweetheart of 31 years. We celebrated 31 years in May. We have five amazing children and um, 28 down to 13. And I became a new grandma this summer.
0: Congratulations. Um, How exciting. So
1: exciting. Um, So I ironically previously worked in cancer registry for a local hospital for about eight years. And so I was following cancer patients through their point of diagnosis, treatment outcomes. And then as a cancer registrar, we followed them for life. So when you see the statistics through the CDC, that's what our job is, is that we're gathering all of that information, which comes from local hospitals, then goes to our state registry, and then goes to the national registry. Hmm. So I think, you know, cancer was always on my radar. Um, I lost my dad to lung cancer, which spread to his brain when he was only 55. And so I was very, maybe, hyper-aware of being very vigilant about doing my annual exams and following through. Um, In May of 2016, I had a completely clear breast MRI. Uh, The reason that they were doing MRIs on me, my primary physician started those about three or four years ago because I had very dense breasts. And with that, the mammograms sometimes are just not as diagnostic as an MRI can be. So in May of 2016, I bounced along, had my clear breast MRI, went in in June of 2017 for my annual exam, thinking we were going to just do my MRI and we were going to bounce along again. We, Marty and I just celebrated our 30th anniversary then. And my primary looked at me and he said, you have a lump under your arm. And I don't like that. Wow! And then I was having some redness underneath my breasts that I hadn't really paid attention to. Um, and I guess I should have. So, okay. But yeah.
0: So. Wow. And so you proceeded to get the testing done and they said
1: what? Yes. Immediately. Um, my primary called Dr. Lay immediately in his office at that appointment and they moved me that was on a thursday they got me into mri on monday morning and then i was able to see dr lay that afternoon for my biopsies and so they did a skin punch biopsy because they thought that you know clinically i appeared as inflammatory cancer hmm. um, and then pathologically we found out that i was uh intraductal carcinoma as well Wow. And I had two large tumors. I had an 8.5 centimeter tumor and a 4.5 cent- centimeter tumor in my left breast.
0: And so, you had just had clear scans a year prior?
1: A year prior. And so wow. it was crazy when we did my genetic, Dr. Lay did my genetic testing for me. Again, came back completely clear for any type of cancer, not even just breast cancer. Have no family history on either side of my family. So to say the least, it was quite shocking for us. Right.
2: Um,
1: Wow. Really shocking. Yeah. And so then Dr. Lay sent me immediately for a PET scan um, to determine whether the cancer had spread further throughout my body because that was going to determine my staging and our treatment options. Um, Luckily, I held at stage three. I had spread to my lymph nodes under my arm and behind my sternum. Mm -hmm. And it had not spread at that point to any other organs or my bones um, within my body. So it was, it was good news in the sense that Dr. Lay had explained to me that generally these faster-growing, more aggressive cancers respond very well to treatment. Hmm. And so a week later, I had my port placed, and I started chemo and antibody therapy. Wow. And so and now
0: you can say it very matter of factly, but at the time were you quite so like, <laughs> matter of fact, like, this is the next step. This is what we're doing. How, how did you handle and How did your husband handle that after 30 uh, years of being my together?
1: Hus- my husband was initially as shocked as I was yeah. because, you know, we had been very, very vigilant. I worked in a hospital. I followed cancer patients. I knew about cancer risks, you know? And so I think both of us were just in utter shock in the beginning But then thankfully, I call them my medical dream team. They picked us both kind of up off the floor. And Dr. Lay was phenomenal in being able to get me going over to an amazing oncologist, Dr. Rachel Swart at Arizona Oncology.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So I had my port placed. They began uh, two types of chemotherapy on me, as well as two types of antibody therapy. Wow. And I had, yeah, so I had six of those. And amazingly enough, when Dr. Lay took me to surgery, I had a double mastectomy and total lymph node removal. She was so excited when she called me, she said, are you sitting down? And I was thinking, oh my goodness, what, what else have they found? And she said, Julie, you had a complete pathological response to the chemo and the antibody therapies. So when they sent all of my tissues to pathology, they were clear of any cancer. Wow. And that's that's a miracle.
0: <laughs> that is all you can ever hope for and pray oh, for. Wow, that's,
1: that's the best outcome that you could ask for. Yes. Oh.
0: And Dr. Leah, I bet you love giving that type of news, right? What was that phone call like when you can say, "We got there. We got we got the result that we wanted." Uh,
2: that's always what we want to say. We we say we do the happy dance. Yeah. <laughs> we call people with good news. I don't get to people give lots of good news, so right. It's always really nice to be able to
0: do that. Right. And what really shocks me about Julie's story is just how fast growing it was. So inform me a little bit about breast cancer and the different variations of breast cancer. How often is it this, you know, really rapid onset and, you know, what can we do to be really aware of prevention and everything when you think you're doing all the things right, like Julie was? Mm
2: -hmm. So there's a couple different things uh, that you touched on. One is um, the types of cancer. So there are a number of different types of breast cancer and they're characterized by how fast they grow, whether they're sensitive to estrogen and whether they're sensitive to, um, perception, which is one of the, um, uh, drugs that Julie had. And then also there are other tumor characteristics, whether they're in the lymph nodes or not, um, about a third of breast cancers are very aggressive and fast-growing, hmm. and they fall into two categories, the HER2-positives and then what we call triple negatives, in which all three of those things are negative. So most breast cancers are not really rapidly going, growing. Most hmm. are very slow-growing, and that's why mammography every year or even as you get older every other year is acceptable because most of them don't come up so quickly.
0: That's what quick I thought. Right? Yeah.
2: But the kind that Julie had does come up quickly and we usually call that an interval cancer because it occurred between the screening tests wow. that we would normally do. And so I think in terms of awareness, it's just important that if you think something's different that you should go get it checked out and not to wait and wait, you know, if you can wait a couple of weeks and see that is was that always there or did I remember that correctly or is that new? Right. Um But don't, put it off more than in a few weeks because it could be something really serious
0: sure yeah so aside from the self-exams you know that we're told to do and looking for the lumps and things I was surprised by her symptom of of topical redness I'd never heard of that symptom
2: so you can have inflammatory changes which is you oftentimes because the lymphatic or the lymph nodes are full of cancer Mm -hmm. so the fluid from the Um, breast that's normally there cannot drain out because it's blocked by the lymph nodes being full of cancer. Mm. So that's inflammatory changes. And then you can also have inflammatory breast cancer where the cancer cells are actually in the skin.
0: Oh, really? Um,
2: And so both of those things cause redness of the breast and a swelling, the swelling we call, um, it's a French term, peau d'orange. So it looks like an orange skin, how the orange, the skin of an orange is dimpled. Yes And um, so okay. the breast- the breast can look dimpled, and then it's usually on the underside of the breast, not always, but usually it is um starts on the underside of the breast mm-hmm. and then um it has that kind of pink or redness to it,
0: okay, those are all really good things to know. I was not aware of of that to look for um and a lot of people really delay, including insurance companies promoting this, delaying um early preventative type measures, mammograms, breast MRIs, things like that. And so we think if we don't have a history of breast cancer in our family, we can afford to wait. What would you say to that, and how can we advocate for ourselves and set ourselves up for success and, and early detection?
2: So a couple things. Most people can get a screen mammogram over the age of 40. Um, insurance has covered that okay. um, very routinely. Um, under 40, it can be a little more difficult, although I've rarely seen it be denied. So that's an important thing is that most insurances pay for it. And then if you don't have insurance, there are programs in most communities for free mammograms. We have one at our hospital. Oh, wow. um, But probably in most communities, there are programs with free mammograms or discounted mm-hmm. um, mammography okay. um, for patients who are either uninsured or underinsured. So that's the first part. And then... In terms of risk, this is kind of, this is a place that we're we're getting more information about, but we don't have as much information as we would like. So some societies and guidelines have said that we should only do imaging based on people's risk, but 40 to 50% of people who get breast cancer have no risk factors.
0: That's a lot. And even
2: though Julie had a family member with cancer, lung cancer is not related to breast cancer in terms of. You know, hereditary risk. Correct. So, when you're thinking about, um, you know, am I at risk for breast cancer? It may have nothing to do with your family history, but other things can be involved like obesity or inactivity, alcohol consumption, how old you were and you had kids, whether you had kids or not, how, um, um Those are kind of the main risk factors we look at. But like I said, many people have no risk factors. And so it's very difficult to prescribe by risk, which is why the most breast surgeons and radiologists still feel that you should begin screen mammography at age 40 and continue as long as you are healthy and have a reasonable life expectancy. Hmm. Um, I think one of the things that I've noticed recently is that Uh, with this discussion about risk and how to know who's at risk and how to decide who should get mammography um, is that we're omitting women from the picture. um, And a lot of patients in their eighties don't get mammograms anymore, even though they have a life expectancy of five to 10 years. And so um, they present maybe not with disease that's already metastasized or moved elsewhere in their body, but the tumors are bigger, so then they may have to have more therapy or bigger surgery. Hmm. So um, I, I like that we're talking about the risk because it is important to know your risk, but it's also important to remember that screening tests are tests for everybody, not necessarily just because you're at risk for something.
0: Yeah, I'll never forget, oh. on, I think it was on the Today Show, or maybe it was on Good Morning America, where one of the anchors did a live mammogram, and they did find out that she had breast cancer.
1: Do you know right, what I'm talking that. about?
0: And it really just did so much for that early morning because I don't think she had any links in her family and anything like that. She would have never expected that. She was just trying to downplay what a big deal getting mammograms are. A lot of people are intimidated, and really it's, it's not overly scary or invasive or anything like that, wouldn't you say?
2: Correct. It's yeah. very non-invasive. I yeah. mean, a colonoscopy, which we recommend for people over 50 – and people do colonoscopies all the time. That right. is a lot more. That's dangerous.
1: a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> it yes. takes a lot
2: more energy to prepare for it. You have to take time off of work. Right. And, um, the, you know, the procedure itself is very invasive. So right. for, you know, mammography, you get a lot of what I guess you could say bang for your buck. It's a short exam. It probably, the actual exam probably takes less than five minutes. It probably takes a half hour half hour out of your day once a year. Yeah, um, and you, there's a lot of benefit to it because we know that when we find cancers early and they're smaller, even if they are aggressive cancers, they're much easier to cure when they're smaller and they've not spread to the lymph nodes or elsewhere in the body. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I am 100% behind that early detection and, yeah, just being really in tune with your body and, and what's right and what seems different and getting those differences checked out. And so you also had your own walk with breast cancer, Dr. Lay. Will you share a little bit about your experience?
2: Sure. So um, I have a family history of breast cancer and other cancers, and mm-hmm. my family members have been tested for genes to see whether we carry genes for cancer, and we didn't. Um, or at least my other family members, I had not been tested into, up to that point. Um, but I had a mammogram, and I had felt something. So I had an ultrasound, and during the ultrasound, I looked at the pictures, uh, with the radiologist, and I said, gosh, my breast tissue looks really dense. Then, like a month later, and then we didn't find anything. A month later, I was doing my own risk calculation, mostly because I was playing around with the risk calculator program. There had been an update to the version, and I just wanted to see how it worked. And so I calculated my risk, and it was elevated to 24%, which isn't very high, but it's high enough that we often recommend screening MRI in that population, much like how what Julie was doing. And so I got an MRI and I had a breast cancer. So that's the kind of the ultimate in understanding your risk. The the ultimate example of it is that when you understand your risk, you are more likely to find things by looking for them. Mm -hmm. That being said, you know, not everybody who is a little bit increased risk for breast cancer benefits from all that screening, but at the very least, they should have a discussion with their health care professionals about, what is my risk and how do I know my risk and how should I manage it?
0: So would I just ask my primary care doctor to assess my risk or how do I get that information?
2: So I think probably the the downside is that most primary care doctors probably don't know how to assess the risk. There are online models um, that you can download the program and and do it that way. Mm -hmm. But we're probably not educating ourselves well enough in medical school and residency to know how to do those things. But in most larger communities, there should be some kind of high-risk program or there would be a breast surgeon, um, a dedicated breast surgeon that could assess one's risk. Some medical oncology practices now have um, risk assessment programs with either a nurse practitioner or an oncologist. Um, A couple weeks ago, a patient brought me an article from the Wall Street Journal that was profiling high-risk programs at a couple of big institutions in the country like Dana-Farber and Memorial Sloan Kettering. So it's great to, to see it in the newspaper because that will help us to bring more awareness to people that you there really is a good benefit from having a high-risk program.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how would you say that your experience with breast cancer personally impacted then the way that you interacted with your patients and helped them along their journeys?
2: I think that I had a lot of empathy and compassion and understanding of their struggle before I um, was affected by it because of my family members' experience, and also just because I like, you know, I listen to what's going on with people. But I think a couple things became more apparent to me. One is what it, the kind of strange sensations and unexpected things that you get after having breast surgery, how long those symptoms last, um, you know, different things like numbness or um, the muscle weakness that comes from different surgeries. So I think I'm, more aware of that because sometimes it's not something patients would necessarily mention to me or if they did I'd say oh it'll probably go away mm-hmm. but now mm-hmm. I have an understanding of how long it actually takes for those things to heal um, another thing is when patients always say well I'm going to go back out to, uh, to work after a month after a double mastectomy and I, I I now know that that's not really a good idea and that people need time to heal and so we really talk to pay I spend more time talking to patients about the importance of the healing process not just getting the surgery over with but how long to And then I think there's a lot of emotional aspects that you know I all obviously am already aware of, especially because I've had a lot, a lot of young patients in my practice. Um, But breast cancer affects you affects a lot of people um, emotionally because it's a very culturally present disease. We don't talk about colon cancer every day, but just about every day you see something about breast cancer. It's on a can of soup that you buy or the football players are wearing pink tennis shoes or, you know, whatever it is. Um, So I think we've done a good job with the cultural awareness, but along with that comes the paranoia and Um, a concern that you're going to be one of those people that dies from breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really not true. Most people do not die from breast cancer anymore. Yes, people do die from it, but it's the vast majority of people have very long-term survivals now. Um, So I think that's the biggest part for me that has changed is that I, without even the patient saying very much about it, I can tell that they're experiencing maybe the anxiety or that fear or just the tumult, the tumultuousness that it adds to your life
0: yeah and Julie how did having breast cancer change your life and your perspective and how does your day-to-day look different now that you've oh, had absolutely. this life-altering experience what have you learned
1: uh so a few things. I mean I think breast cancer or any cancer diagnosis, I think it kind of cracks your soul open in a way it makes you more vulnerable. Um, I was telling my husband this the other night. I used to be just a very strong, very decisive person, never second guess myself. I was a personality, and now I feel like I'm a recovering a type personality. Mm. And I think the beauty in that is, is is that it has made me more aware of living just in this moment. Um, I've given up my control issues. You know, it's interesting where I think we all have this perspective of that. We think we're in control of everything and some things come into our life. Like cancer came into my life. It was unexpected, unwanted, unwelcome, (laughs) but it, but it's changed me in so many wonderful ways and it's given me gifts. And I know that, people look at me when I say that there were gifts within my cancer diagnosis and they're thinking, are you crazy? (laughs) But there really have been some amazing gifts. I mean, I've had the opportunity to meet people that I would have never met. I've had women sit in chemo chairs next to me when I was having treatment, um, who gave me so much hope in the midst of just feeling like I had none. And so I think Yes, cancer is difficult, and getting a cancer diagnosis is very difficult, but I think if you can um, stay in hope, that there are many gifts that will come your way from it, Mm, for sure. so
0: powerful. Yeah. I I am so pleased that there's so much more awareness and proactivity around the idea of Breast cancer being talked about and discussed and pink everywhere and the ribbons and everything like that. I've done two breast cancer three-day walks um, in my life and so raised a lot of money for breast cancer, Susan G. Komen and things like that. And I will just never forget, I mean walking 60 miles is hard when you're healthy, but I will (laughs) never forget the people very shortly after completing treatments or surgery, or you probably wouldn't recommend that. Dr. Lay, but you know, (laughs) that, that walked or that were on the sidelines cheering with tears in their eyes saying, thank you for, for showing up for this cause and for this. And how did people show up for you, Julie? And how can I show up for a friend walking through this? Because so many times we want to do something and we don't know what to do.
1: And so I love asking
0: what can people do or what did people do for you?
1: Oh, it, you know, honestly, when I talk about this piece of it, it, it's very touching and overwhelming for me because, you know, through chemo, of course, I lost my hair. And uh, there's one example that stays with my heart very closely. Um, I had to take my son to the airport to fly to Chicago um, during the summer that I was having chemo and I was wearing hats because in Tucson, it's just too hot to wear a wig. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was wearing hats. I had no hair. I looked probably puffy and just pale and thin and not looking my normal great self. And, um, I was standing in a restaurant with my daughter and three women walked up to me and just started hugging me. And they whispered in my ear, they were all survivors. And they said to me, it was so powerful. They said to me, you hang in there because look at where we are today. Look at us. This is temporary, you know, just keep, going through your journey and you're going to make it. And my daughter and I, I mean, we both teared up. They bought us breakfast. They came and sat with us. I mean, it was like, there's angels everywhere.
0: It's the club you you never want to be a part of, but you're so glad you have each other, right?
1: Oh my goodness. People just, yeah. Like I said, mere strangers gave me so much hope and encouragement when I was sitting in the chemo chair one day and it was about halfway through my chemo treatments. And I was just so systemically sick. You know, I just was not feeling well. And she looked at me and she grabbed my hand and she looked directly in my eyes. And she said to me, she said, honey, she said, I know that you're going to go to dark places in your mind with this. She said, that's totally normal. She's that's a normal part of being diagnosed with a cancer. And she said, but I'm going to tell you something, sweetie. She said, do not pack your bags and stay there. Wow. <laughs> and I've kept her wisdom in my heart, you know, going forward through the rest of my chemo, I pushed hard, did my um, surgery. Uh, then Dr. Lay had the foresight which was really amazing and I think really made a huge difference in my healing was she had me start in physical therapy just about seven to 10 days following my surgery because in my mind I had breast cancer. I didn't think about the use of my arms because of the lymph node removal and there was such a large impact on that. And so um, with Dr. Lay having the foresight to have me start physical therapy fairly quickly after surgery was a really good thing Mm. and helped in my healing and was able to really help me push forward into, then I had 35 radiation treatments. So what I learned through the journey was that I had to compartmentalize. So I had to just, when I was doing chemo and my antibodies, I just focused on that. Then when it was time for surgery, focused on that. And then when it was time for radiation, just focused on that. And it was kind of a, a a gift to be able to break it down that way mm. because it made my journey much more doable. Because I think when you're initially diagnosed and they start telling you, okay, you're gonna need this, 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 and this, and it's such a big, overwhelming, scary picture. And you're thinking to yourself, How am I going to get through this? You know? Wow. But you do. You do. And you come out on the other side. And so I feel kind of like It's a gift that I have now that I can speak to other people and speak to women who are either in the midst of their journey or haven't had an exam ever or in three years. Do it. And if something comes up, you're going to get through it. You absolutely will.
0: Wow. You're amazing. You're a warrior. I hope you feel as proud of yourself as I feel of you, Julie. That is just... Thank amazing you. <laughs> amazing to have a that perspective and that gratefulness even amidst such a trial that gratefulness
1: oh, so grateful so grateful and like i said it's changed my outlook so you know i used to be five steps ahead of myself all the time i mm. had a five year plan i have a today plan ah. and we're going to handle today and if we get to tomorrow we'll handle tomorrow but right now i live in the moment with my family and my friends and it's the best feeling in the world
0: beautiful Beautiful. Well, I always close out my episodes with extraordinary moms by asking, what would you tell your pre-motherhood self? But for the case of this conversation, and perhaps it goes along with what you just said, Julie, I wanted to ask, what would you tell your pre-breast cancer self? Go back Uh, right before that diagnosis when life was the way it was and think where you are now. What would you tell yourself?
1: To walk through the door with strength and hope. Um, you know, with, with the cancer diagnosis, there's this big looming door. If there's a visual of it standing in front of you and you don't, in my case, I didn't have a choice. I had to open that door and walk through it. I had to put myself out into the unknown, kind of into that abyss, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's a scary thing. You have to be really brave to push through it. Um, and I think the most important thing I could say is that, I'm going to be okay. That mm-hmm. no matter what, I'm going to be okay. And that's what we've told all of our children too, that no matter what the outcome, we are all going to be okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and better for that's... your challenges even.
1: Yeah. You're living yeah. Proof oh, of that. so much stronger, yeah. stronger and and more wise, I think. Yes.
0: Beautiful. Dr. Lay, what would you tell your pre-breast cancer self?
1: I mine's a little
2: different. I it, it really made me wish that I had um, taken more time to enjoy every day, hmm. so I'm trying to do that now. It is difficult, especially in, I think in medical training, we're not taught, there's no space for that. Hmm. You're just cranking through, taking care of your patients, working long hours, and um, a lot of physicians make a lot of personal sacrifices to be present at work, yeah. and I, um, I wish there's a bit of me that wishes I'd done more of that before I had cancer. Like I wish I hadn't taken a cancer diagnosis to make me realize that every day is special.
0: Right. So what is one thing that you do now in your day to day life, perhaps that you didn't do before or that you didn't do regularly before that you prioritize now because you know that it matters? Is there anything that's different?
2: Yeah, with the exception of this last two weeks, I try to only be away from home one night a week. And Uh before, I would always be late, doing meetings, whatever, working. So now I prioritize being home um, with my family. It's difficult. It's not very easy in a surgical life to do that, but... um, and it has it has made a difference. I think my kids were okay with me not being there all the time, but I wasn't okay with it. Hmm. Once I sat down to think about it, you know, right? It, I I don't want to miss those moments and the hugs and and uh, and I have an almost teenager, so. Missing all the
0: teenage drama. <laughs> <laughs> like I could do without that one, but some
2: days yeah. I would like to not come home, so I don't have to do <laughs> it with the teenage drama.
0: I'm gonna make up a meeting that's gonna take me a little bit longer. You that's do right, bedtime, I don't yeah. Hear
2: about that math test today? <laughs> well,
0: I just think that is such that's such a wise insight, Doctor Lay. That sometimes you can't just have a complete 180 of the life. That okay, now I'm gonna live this way. Because you do love your work, I'm sure, and it's meaningful, and you've worked so hard to get to where you are, but you really have to create the life that you want to live based on the circumstances that you're in, the profession that you have, the kids that you have, the spouse or not, you know, all these factors. How do you want to create the life that you want to live with intention based upon what is, not what, you know, the fantasy life or whatever it is, you know? So I love that your and Julie's lives can look completely different and, you know, you've chosen different paths and things like that. But ultimately, you're both committed to living your life with intention. And I think that's really powerful. Oh, absolutely.
2: Thank I, you. Yeah. I had patient actually asked me the other day because she – I hadn't talked to her about it, but she must have read it somewhere. And she said, well, what did you do? Did you just completely change your diet and your exercise and your whole life? And I said, well, first of all, that's really difficult to do. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more difficult than it sounds. And second of all, um, I saw a speaker who's actually a breast cancer researcher and medical oncologist, but he actually has had lots of health problems in his life. He had um, illness as a child, and so he actually got HIV from it. And so in medical school, he found out he had AIDS. Wow. Um, so he's had a very challenging um, life, and but he's been very productive in his career as well. And he said, he put up a slide during his talk that said, just because you have an illness doesn't mean you have to change everything about your life. You can still get mad at your kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They'll be frustrated when it rains or, you know, when something goes wrong. And that really, that was, I saw that about eight months after I was diagnosed. And that really helped me because I thought I had to change everything. And you're right. As a surgeon, if I was, if I continue my career in surgery, I cannot change everything. This is not a part-time job. It's not a 40 hour a week job it's a it's a full-time all-the-time um work which i love but i have had to i've chosen to find ways to make it less intrusive to my personal life and i i i wish that or i hope that other women physicians well and just other physicians in general don't have to have a diagnosis of something serious mm. before they figure that out yeah. um, i was talking with a friend yesterday actually who's a plastic surgeon And he went to a seminar actually given by a plastic surgeon earlier this week about how to achieve balance. I was really surprised to hear that. Wow. Um, It's something that's really real for physicians now is that we're finding that um, we're making ourselves ill because we're at work too much. And, um, you know, your kid is only going to have that field trip to the pumpkin farm a couple of times. And if you miss it, then you missed it. Right.
0: Right. And if you miss the pumpkin patch field trip, there are other things too to go to. So, also Correct. not beating yourself up. So, just figure right. out what what do you value? What do your kids value? What matters that you show up for? Right. And what, you know, are you putting unnecessary pressure on yourself about? Right. We,
2: you know, in surgery, we say, when we try to calm ourselves down and say, oh, you know, I, I can take a day off, we say, well, when you're, you know, At the end of your life, you're not going to say, oh, I wish I did one more surgery. Totally. You're going to say, I'm glad I spent so much time with my kids and my husband.
0: Yes. Julie, do you want to take just a minute to say something to your doctor, Dr. Lay, who's gotten you to where you are today?
1: Well, you know, I was so fortunate that my primary care physician knew Dr. Lay, and that was the first phone call he made when we were sitting in the office when he found the lump under my arm. And, uh... As soon as I walked into Dr. Lay's office that following Monday, I felt instantly at ease. She hugged us. She moved her chair right up to my knees. She held my hands, looked right in my face, and said, oh, I'm going to get emotional. She said, we're going to do this, and we're going to get you through this. And Now you're making me cry, too. (laughs) (laughs) To be able to have a physician in this world today that takes that extra time to help their patient understand that yes this is a big scary diagnosis but it's doable Mm -hmm. and they um her whole team has been right next to me the whole way and that's why I call them my medical dream team (laughs) because they are a dream team um Dr. Lay makes herself very available to her patients in ways that other physicians do not, and so I feel incredibly fortunate to have had her as my surgeon. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to see her Monday for another surgery. She's that's t- right. I know we she's, have a date. <laughs> we have a date. She's taking my port out, which is such oh, a that's huge a
0: big milestone. milestone. <laughs> I'm,
1: yes, yeah, that's a, I'm deporting you. She's deporting me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> the only time well, so, you want to hear the word deport in this day yes, and age. That, that would be the only reason That's I the only cry. way to keep a smile <laughs> on your face when you're deporting. Exactly. Uh, Dr. Lay, do you have anything you'd like to tell Julie?
2: Oh, I'm just so grateful that she um, put her health in my hands and trusted me to take care of her. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that she um, gave me that trust very freely and willingly and that. Despite her internal challenges, she always had a smile on her face, and that really cheers up physicians, too, because we know that we're making, it helps remind us that we're making a difference in someone's life, and I'm sure she put on the smile sometimes that she didn't really mean it um, because she felt poorly, but I'm just so grateful that um, I've gotten to know her and to be a part of her life. She sent me a picture of her grandchild when it was born. So that's really (laughs) nice. (laughs) Yes. Amazing. Uh, That's why I do this job is to get people back to their lives, you know? Right. And and you don't have to always have breast cancer. You can say you had it and you move on and have your
1: grandkids and do all sorts of fun things. Oh, yes. I definitely, I, I, you know, I credit you and, and my other physicians, my oncologist and my radiation oncologist and all of those teams, um. They have extended my life, and that's yes. a gift. Well, yeah. I to
2: remember, too, though, that you did all the hard work. I didn't. I'm not that. <laughs> therapy, <so>. That's <laughs> what I was
0: going to say. Dr. Lay, certainly her expertise and her abilities definitely played a role, but I'm sure she yes. would concur that attitude and desire and belief that you can get better and that you can do this, that goes a long way as well.
1: I think so. Yeah. I think attitude is probably um, – gosh, a huge percentage of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was one of the gifts that I had because I have such a strong family unit mm-hmm. and they were pushing on me and they weren't letting me, you know, they let me wallow a little bit. But you didn't pack <laughs> your bags. You didn't pack but your bags. Not much. Not much. <laughs> we were, we were a strong family before this and we're, T- titanium strong now Amazing.
0: So. <laughs> Julie congratulations on being a survivor and continuing to live your life congratulations on being a grandma Dr. Lay thank you for coming on today to sharing your expertise I hope this will really prompt others to look at their risk factors to ask the questions that need to be asked to push and advocate for themselves to get the tests that they need done especially if there's a family history but even if not just being aware of your body I hope this just promotes that awareness even more in this month of October
1: Thanks for
0: having me. Thank you. Thanks
1: for having me, for
0: sure. I hope that gave you some new information and awareness about the importance of recognizing the signs and symptoms of breast cancer. They might be different than what you think, and you might think, well, I don't have a family history, so I don't need to get screened, or I don't need to be doing regular checks in the shower or things like that, but that's not true. Make sure you are participating in early detection and advocating for yourself in your medical spheres that, you know, at your doctor, calculating risk factors, things like that, so you can really just stay on top of it because early detection is the best prevention, and like Dr. Lay said, more and more people are living through a breast cancer diagnosis and coming out on the other side, living lives just like Julie. So thank you, Julie, and thank you, Dr. Michelle Lay, for coming on the podcast today. I'm so grateful that you could share your expertise and your journeys with us today. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at JessicaDahlquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Coming up next week, we have an amazing, amazing episode. It's one of my very favorites, I think, that I've ever done on the show. My guest is Brittany Schroeder. Brittany's going to talk about her difficult experience losing her teenage son to an accident just 18 months ago. So the grief is still pretty fresh, and what really is incredible about this conversation though, is that while she's still grieving, while there's still that hole, and while she's still figuring out the new normal, she is also being incredibly proactive about moving forward a mission that was important to her son Gage, to spread compassion to all those that she meets. And it is just extraordinary. And I can't wait for you to hear it next Tuesday. So make sure you're subscribed. And thank you to all of you that are sharing the show with your friends. It means so much to me. You know it does. Alrighty, that'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. And we will see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.